The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Awesome goodness unto us. You are the everlasting God, the God beside whom there is no other. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth. You are the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You've been faithful to your people, Lord God, throughout all these generations. Now we now are the generation, Lord, who must carry on, carry your name forward in this, in this nation, in this world, Lord, through missions, through evangelism. So thank you, Lord, for this book, historical book of Joshua, the lessons that we've learned, and how the Israelites' history parallels our own, Lord, in faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to us. Lord, Lord, let me, your servant, decrease you may increase. Give my voice strength, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth be your words today, Lord God. Someone's here today who is hurting. Someone's here today, Lord, who needs a word of hope, a word of encouragement. May today's message, Lord, be that word of hope and encouragement for them, that there is a God in heaven, and he yet still lives. He yet still is faithful to deliver and to restore and to heal. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Good morning. I've been a little bit under the weather, so if I sound a little bit out of it, I am a little, but I'm much better than I was Friday, so praise be to God for that. Now, uh, listen, our message today is entitled, Into the Promised Land, Our God Goes Before Us. Into the Promised Land, Our God Goes Before Us. Now, there are really four movements in this message today. We're going to be doing three chapters, chapter three, four, and five. And in those chapters, we'll find that Israel crosses the River Jordan. We also find that they set up memorial stones. Also, the second generation circumcised. And the commander, we'll get, we'll get to meet the commander of the Lord's army. Now, many of us here could think of a time when we were little children, maybe. Uh, there was a time that we looked forward to with great anticipation. Maybe it was Christmas time. The gifts that we'd receive from our mothers and our fathers, our aunts, uncles, and perfect strangers. <laughs> Maybe it was a time when we were getting ready for our wedding. Maybe you're getting ready for the wedding. The day was coming and you made all the plans. All the guests were invited. The day had finally come. And maybe it was something else. But we can all remember a time, maybe a vacation that our parents promised us. We're going to go to Disneyland. And you, could, you counted the days and the hours until that day finally came. Well, for Israel, that day has finally come. The day that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had finally come. 400, 500 years in the waiting had finally come. They were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River was that flood stage, which means it was overflowing its banks. It was raging. It's a raging river. I've never done white water rafting. I don't want to do that. But if you have, you know that it's a raging river. You don't want anything to do with that, right? So anyway... But we serve a God who is powerful, who is able to deliver. Our text for today, beginning in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 is, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove, also known as Abel Shittim, and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall step out from your place and go after it. 
Now, we need to know that there are about 2 million people on the site. 2 million people, women, children, and their livestock. This was a large contingent of people. This was a massive undertaking. Now, how are they going to do this? Let's continue. Joshua says, commanding, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, the ark, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Many of them were probably, how is this, how, how is it going to be done? How are we going to get across? Where are the boats? <laughs> Where are the airplanes to get us across? Let's talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant, you, you see on your screen there, is representation of the Ark. Now God had given instructions to gifted men who he chose to build the ark. And the ark, you can see, is a beautiful chest. And the ark signified, number one, God's presence with his chosen people. The ark signified God's presence with his chosen people. You see, God is spirit. We can't see him. God gave them a way to know that he was with them. Now, the ark was holy. It was something not to be trifled with. In fact, Israel lost the ark to some enemy nations, the Philistines. The Philistines took the ark into their nation, and that was a mistake because boils and all kinds of things began to happen to them. And they said, come, take this thing from us. So the ark was being carried back to Israel, but on a cart. God had instructed the ark to be carried by poles, not on a cart. So the ark began to topple, and someone reached out and touched it, and he died. Because God had then instructed the ark to be carried that way. The ark was holy. See, the ark was not a magic talisman to be idolized. It was not a magic thing, a magic, a, a lucky charm that whoever possessed it had power to do uh, whatever they wished to their enemies. It was not a magic talisman. If you remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of my favorite movies, uh, Harrison Ford went on the quest to find this lost ark. And the Germans also were on the same quest to find this ark. And they found it. And uh, Belloc set up with the priestly robes up in the mountain. And all of a sudden, they opened up this ark, expecting to find the treasures of the ages, wisdom and power and might. But the ark destroyed them. It was not to be toyed with. It was holy. Christ, the seed also of the ark represented Christ going before us to die in our place and be raised again from the dead. You see, throughout history, there have been several arks. The first ark was Noah's ark, built to save mankind from God's judgment, if you remember that. And only those who were in the ark were saved. All who were not in the ark perish. But keep in mind that the Noah was a preacher of righteousness. For 120 years, he preached about repentance, but they mocked him. And when the floodwaters came, God said, get in the ark, you and all the animals and your family, your sons and your daughters and your wife. And then when the waters began to come on the earth, the ark was raised up and they were saved. 
there was another ark when Moses, the deliverer, was born in, in Egypt. And God has raised Moses up to save Israel, to deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt. His mother built an ark for him and placed it in the Nile River. By faith, she did that because Pharaoh had commanded all the children of the Israelites to be killed, all the young males to be killed because they were getting to be too many for them. So Jesus Christ today is the modern-day ark of safety. Are you in him today? He said, if I'm in you and you in me, you must be in him today to be saved. Continuing on. Israel now crosses the River Jordan. This is the day it said that they had waited for, for with great anticipation. The promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. About two million people again were waiting to cross over. Continuing. If you look at there's a map on your screen there. It, now you wonder how far was Acacia Grove at Belshittim from the Jordan River. You see it's about seven miles. About seven miles walk. This is where they camped. Seven miles walk to the river. And from the river, five miles to Jericho. And they camped here at Gilgal. This is where, this is where Joshua circumcised the men. Let's continue on. Now, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide. 100 feet wide and anywhere from 3 feet to 10 feet deep. This is not a wading pool. <laughs> Continuing on. Now, let's go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, and that they may know that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Now, that took great faith, did it not? So Joshua said, verse 9, to the children of Israel, Come here. Hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. They did not know what was about to happen. They did not know. By this you shall know that the living God is among you. And keep in mind that this same God who was with Adam, was with Noah, was with Moses, is now with Joshua. The same God. He said, God, I'm God, I change not. I am the everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, that God. And that God is here today with us, grace. By this you shall know that the living God, not an idol, is among you, that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites. This is a faithful God. And the Hittites, and the Hivites, the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And it shall come to pass, verse 13, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Keep in mind, this is not just the God of Israel. This is the God of all the earth. The entire earth belongs to God, not just the Israelites. Shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from the upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. What do you mean, Joshua? How could this be? That waters are cut off, just like that. Verse 14, so it was, so it happened, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, two million strong, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Keep in mind, the priests, the men of God, went before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, 
and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. Now listen, for the Jordan overflows all its bank during the whole time of harvest. This was springtime, and the waters were raging. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. Interesting, Adam, the father of all people, all men. The city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Can you imagine the shock of the people on the other side when this happened? Because they too witnessed this great event. Now, they thought they had time. They knew the Israelites were coming. They knew that God had given them the land. They knew that they were about to be dispossessed from the land because of their sin. Rahab, if you remember, believed in the God of Israel. She says, he is God in heaven and God in earth. And she believed that because of her faith in the living God, she was saved. And listen, God is all about salvation from the very beginning to this present age. He's all about salvation. Salvation from what? Eternal death, pain, and suffering. Verse 17. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Now keep in mind, the word says they crossed over on dry ground. In a natural sense, you would expect that the waters would be muddy, right? They would be muddy and rocky, and they would be not dry ground, but this is a miracle from God. Now, note Note four things about the crossing of the Jordan River. The crossing of the river was a supernatural event. It needed a supernatural God to bring it to pass. It was a supernatural event. It didn't happen naturally. Rocks did not fall into the, into the river up miles upstream to, to dam the water. God supernaturally had the water stand still. God is the controller, the making controller of all nature. He has the power to control the elements. Jesus said to the, to the river, peace, be still. And there was a great calm. You remember that? Peace, be still. And there was a great calm. Jesus came walking on the water. He is the maker of all things. He controls all nature. Number two, crossing of the river was a miraculous event. These things don't happen every day. Miracles don't happen every day. This was a supernatural, miraculous event. So all the people saw this with their eyes. And those who were not there for the Red Sea, God did this for them back then as well. So God said to Joshua, I'll exalt you before all the people today. So what God did for Joshua, he did for Moses 40 years earlier. The crossing of Jordan was, was a historical event. Number three, let us see. It happened. It actually happened. This was not a made-up story. It was a historical event. You see, the book of Joshua is the first of historical books of the Bible. The first five were the Pentateuch, the law. The, Joshua began the historical books. This actually happened in Israel's history. You see, now, numbers, letter D. The crossing of Jordan by the children of Israel signified the beginning of God's judgment on the Canaanites. Keep in mind, they had been given 500 years to repent. But God has said the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. 500 years and another 40 years and the children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness. Rahab was the only one who believed again and she was saved. Her and her whole household from God's judgment. 
Let's now move to the memorial stones. Now, why is there a need for memorial stones? Let's read the text where Joshua tells us this. Chapter 4, verse 1 to 2. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, verse 6, this is important, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, they'll say, Daddy, that doesn't make any sense. How could it be that the waters were cut off? Sweetheart, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. My father told me. His father told him. His father told him before us. But there is a God in Israel. And he yet lives. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded. And took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And carried them over with them unto the place where they had lodged. And laid them down there. Please note that there were 12 tribes, but there was to be one nation unified, serving one God. Amen? The living God, the one true living God. They're coming into a nation full of idols. They're coming into an idolatrous nation, idolatrous land. The Canaanites worshipped Baal and Molech, and they sacrificed their children to Molech, and they involved themselves in all manners of sexual immorality, so they were an adulterous nation, a pagan nation, and the children would be surrounded by these nations. Then Joshua, verse 9, set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there this, to this day. Some dispute that there was a second memorial, but the text is clear. <laughs> he set up 12 stones where the feet of the priests who bore the ark stood, and they were there to this day. Why would Joshua do that? I think because God was faithful to his promise in saying, today I will exalt you before the nation of Israel. So that wasn't Joshua paying homage to his maker, to the God who was with him. Memorial story. Why was there the need for memorial? Because God knows that we are prone to forget his goodness and mighty acts on our behalf. The mightiest of all act was giving us his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross because of his great love. The mightiest act of all, not parting the Red Sea, not crossing the River Jordan, not all those other things that God did, but giving us his son, the ultimate fulfillment to Abraham, that in your seed, capital S, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God knows 
and we're prone to forget. Exodus, I, I picked three passages to show this in the Bible. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Now, this section has to do with the uh, 12 sons of Jacob and a journey to Egypt. And let's pick it up from verse 1. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Now, why did they not need to go to Egypt? Because there was a famine in the land. They were about to die. Joseph went on ahead, sold by his brothers into slavery. What his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. Because Joseph was, God was with Joseph in Egypt and exalted him in Egypt to become second in command. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. But Joseph was already in Egypt. In verse 6, and Joseph died. Joseph died. And all his brothers, all that generation had passed away. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now keep in mind that Pharaoh was so grateful to Joseph that he said, Joseph, you are full of God's wisdom. They must be more like you. Bring them to, my, bring them to my, my land. A friend of you is a friend of mine. Amen? Do we know anyone like that? A word from Brandon Ruckles is a, is a word from on high. Mike's my friend. <laughs> brother of Dan. Brother of Frank. I know Frank. If you say he's a good guy, I'll hire him on the spot. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt. This had to be about three or four hundred years, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and go up out of the land. If you recall, Again, Pharaoh was exceedingly grateful to Joseph for what he had done to save his nation from the famine. He appointed Joseph again to be second in command. But little did Pharaoh know that his inviting Jacob to Israel was part of God's plan. As God had said to Abraham, your descendants shall dwell in the land not of their own. And they shall be afflicted 400 years, and they shall move out of that land great possessions. God had already told Abraham this hundreds of years earlier, amen? That's the God that we serve. He knows the end from the beginning, that God. Here's another passage of how we prone to forget. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals, and the maid Baal buried their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of their, all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. You see, we're prone to forget the God's goodness unto us. You think back when you, were, when you were saved, the day you were saved. Think back to the day you got saved. How about when you got, the first day you got married? 
and it's been 10, 20, 30 years later. Are the, are the flames still as hot as they were back then? Sometimes it is. I know for Ron and Connie it is. <laughs> I love that couple. Anyway, but for most of us, it's one of those things where it's day by day. We love our wives, we love our husbands, but the love is different. Even Jesus said this in Revelations to the church of Laodicea, you've lost your first love. He came to them, you've lost your first love. So we're humans, we're prone to forget, not appreciate. We become the what have you done for me lately generation. Amen? Psalm 106, 19 to 20. So they made a calf, an idol in Horeb, and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory, the glory of the living God, into the image of an ox that eats grass. You see, they brought Egypt with them. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in some of them. Verse 21, they forgot their Savior. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, the plagues, the deliverance, wondrous works in the land of Ham, which is Canaan, awesome things by the Red Sea. They forgot their God, their Savior. Now, Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians. See, it was the responsibility of the parents to pass the faith of their fathers onto the children. Generation to generation to generation. But the love of God, worship of God, would, would continue perpetually. But over time, is it not that we tend to forget? We've forgotten Pearl Harbor, haven't we? Those who were not born then, we've forgotten Pearl Harbor. If you were there, you remember. We've forgotten September 11th, some of us. But I was there. I remember the day. I was in New York City. We tend to forget. Paul, passing on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he says here in verse 23 in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which you had betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. God wants us to remember his goodness unto us. Amen? For as often as you eat this bread, my body, and drink this cup, my blood, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's a promise. He is coming back to take us to be with him. Are you ready for that today, Grace Fellowship? Are you ready for that? There's a hymn. I won't sing it. I'll read parts of the verses. Lead me to Calvary. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall, be, shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy crown, thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for thee, even thy cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Grace, may it be that we never forget God's goodness unto us. In the next section, we'll learn about the second generation circumcised. 
You see, all the men who were now prepared to cross over the Jordan were uncircumcised. God had given Abraham a command to circumcise his sons and all the males in his household, all his slaves. It was a sign of God's covenant with his people. It was a sign. Interesting that it should be on their organ. It's uh, one of those things where God had to see what they're moving to a nation that was full of sexual immorality. It's interesting that God would do this because now the reproach of Israel was on them still. Do not be circumcised. Now think about this. This is an interesting strategy that why would God command Joshua to circumcise all the males before they went to war? Let's read the verses from Joshua 5 verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from the, before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. They were ripe for the picking. At that time, verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. This is over, over 600,000 men. This is a lot, of, a lot of men. This is no small task. Now, if you remember, if you remember the story of Dinah when a Shechemite had done something evil to one of uh, Jacob's daughters. Two of his sons went and had them circumcise themselves as a sign of their solidarity with them. And those men were incapacitated for several days. And those boys went in and killed everybody because they couldn't defend themselves. Verse 4. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised. All the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of, the Egypt, of Egypt had not been circumcised. So they were neglecting the right that God had given to Abraham. They had neglected this very important right. Verse 6, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was, verse 8, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. You see, in Egypt there were slaves. And the reproach had been that they had, not, they had not kept the right that God had given to Abraham. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So, in so doing, Joshua reinstituted the sign of Abrahamic covenant. That God had promised the land to them, and this was a sign to them that God was with them. Let it be. He was now preparing the people to inherit God's blessing. A new nation was to be formed. He was not preparing to return to his blessing. The old man had to, be, had to be cut away. Now they're circumcised in the heart. You see, circumcision was a sign 
that they were aligned, their allegiance was with God, the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. Let's move now to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. We now meet the commander of the Lord's army. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are ye for us or for adversaries? So he said, No, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Let's pause there for a moment. He said, looked at the man with curiosity. Who are you? Who are you? Are you for us or for our adversary? You see, they're about to go into battle. God had given them the promised land. But they have to go and fight for this land now. Amen? They have had to prepare themselves as an army prepared to fight this battle. And Joshua needed to know that God was with him. This commander, we'll see in a few moments, was none other than Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate. Now, keep in mind also, look at verse uh, second half. And Joshua fell on his face and worshipped and said to him, What did my Lord say to his servant? You see, this was no ordinary angel. This was God in the flesh. Because angels did not accept worship. Only God accepted worship. Verse 15. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. If you remember, God is not doing with Joshua what he did with Moses. Parting of the Red Sea, parting of the Jordan, the burning bush where God met Moses to take up hands off your foot, the ground which you stand is holy ground. So here is another situation like that. Let's go to Deuteronomy verse 7, 31, verse 7 to 8. Now we see God go before us. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and have good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. He is a faithful God. You shall cause them to inherit the land. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. You see, the commander of the Lord's army came to stand before Joshua and say, I am with you, Joshua. I am with you. What, my, what I promised to your forefathers, I will deliver to you. But I'll be with you in this battle. Now, there are five things we need to know about the, the commander of the Lord's army. He is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Number two, he is the one who fights our battles. Number three, he is the one who gave his life on the cross to save us. Number four, he is the one whose spirit indwells and seals us unto eternity. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit indwells you. You and I are now the memorial stones. When the world sees us, they see a memorial stone of Jesus Christ. He said, let your light so shine before men that it may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? So when people see us, they need to say something different about you. 
But today, we are the memorial stones. I was in Meyer just the other day, Friday, buying some cornbread. I love my cornbread. <laughs> I must eat two, three, or four of those things every month. That's my wife, she would tell you. you know, a young lady in the bakery came over to me because they were out of bread, so I had to say, could you get some more from the back? She did. I do this all the time. And she came to me. She said, um, may I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a minister. She says, I knew it. I've been there many, 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 many times. She says, I knew it. She began to say to me, you know, my, my fiancé and I are getting married in July. We're looking for someone to officiate our wedding. Long story short, I just basically said, um, that's the best. But she knew that I was a Christian. <laughs> also that I was a pastor. Because of the spirit that God put on me. Number five. The commander of the Lord's army, Jesus Christ, is the one who goes before us to prepare a place in heaven for us. The final promised land. Grace, let me ask you a question today. Are you waiting for the promised land? Are you anticipating being there with Jesus Christ forever and ever? Are you? I am. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 1. Hear what Jesus says to us. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go. I am going before you prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. This is a promise you can take to the bank and receive you to myself, that where I am, that you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas, doubting Thomas, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Grace, today, the ark of safety is not a chest. It's the, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you today, are you in him? And is he in you? Are you in the last ark of safety? And is he in you? You see, because nothing else needs to be done before Christ comes back to take us to himself. It's all been done. He's already done it on the cross. He gave his life on the cross that all who put their faith and trust in him and believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those who do not put their faith and trust in him, those who are still in unbelief, will also live forever but not in heaven in a place of everlasting pain, death, and suffering. God has made a way for us. As in the days of Noah, he made an ark for them to escape the judgment. And in today's day, he made an ark for us in his son, Jesus Christ, that we may escape eternal death, pain, and suffering. If you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you today to do that. Today is the day. Tomorrow is not promised. If you're in Christ, I know that sometimes things get hard for you financially, in your health, in your family, and there's a sense of hopelessness. Don't lose hope in the Lord. I encourage you, hold on to Jesus. You see, because when things get hard, we tend to forget. God, where are you? Where are you in my suffering? Where are you, God, in my family? My family's falling apart. Where are you? He's there. He's here. He's near.
He loves us so very much. You can see him in his word. He demonstrated that love for us by giving us his son on the cross. Let us pray. But before we pray, I'm going to invite Dan to come up to play a song, and then I'll close us in prayer. Father and our God, we thank you today for the word that was preached, Lord. We pray that you are glorified, Lord, in this message, that you are a faithful God, a saving God, a loving God, a God of power, a God of might, a God who sits high and looks down low, a God who is acquainted with all of our infirmities. You suffered. You attempted in all ways, but without sin. You loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son to die in our place. Now, Lord, if there's someone today for the need of the salvation, we pray that today will be the day that they'll say, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. I invite you to come to be my Savior. Come into my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Seal me into the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, what you will do today in these lives. Pray for every family in this church, Lord, as we move forward into our destiny, Lord, in this community. Bless this church family, every member here. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.